0: Good morning, Orchardville Church. Man, it is so good to always gather back around on Sunday morning, and it is the last Sunday of July. I mean, can you believe that? And this is, this is the end of the month. The summer is almost over. And there are some people that are going, no! And there are some parents that are going, Yes! <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, it is, it is flying by. And, uh, and I, one of the interesting things about summer is that it's, it's vacation time and it's when people travel and, and they get out with their family and they go see people they haven't seen for a long time and, and get together with friends. They go places they haven't been. And it's, it's great. I love that God allows that window of opportunity into our lives and, and we live in a culture where those things are possible. But what that means in the church is that every Sunday during the summer, it's like there's this constant kind of movement and flow of people who are like here one week and then they're not here the next week. And so there were people who were here last week and they're off having a great time uh, with family and friends this week. But some of you are faces that weren't here last week. And we've got some new people here that are here for the very first time. My mother-in-law is here for the very first time. So uh, mom, good to have you. you. And uh, she's already made some great friends. That's a beautiful row of people back there. So she's in good hands already. And, uh, but if you're here for the first time or you weren't here last week, you may be thinking to yourself, what in the world is a dining room table doing in the middle of the stage at church? Well, that's a great question. And last Sunday, uh, we began a very short series of messages. Uh, Next week, we'll wrap this thing up, but we're calling it table talk. And uh, so if you weren't here last week, let me just give you a real quick sort of recap to help you understand what's going on here. So I shared last week how quite a few years ago, Les and I were in South Carolina. This was before I got into ministry. And uh, we were at this ginormous flea market, and they had this sort of food court uh, in the middle of the place, and it was an air-conditioned area. And uh, so we had sat down to eat, and, and they had these people handing out food samples, and you've seen those. You see them in Sam's Club or, you know, different places. And so they were there in the flea market, and they were passing out samples. Now, remember, this is a ginormous flea market. There there are literally, and when I say this, I mean it. There are literally thousands of people at this flea market, and it was really, really hot. And most of the place is not air-conditioned, but the food court was. And so uh, these people who were passing out food samples were walking around, knowing that there are thousands of people out there in the hot who haven't eaten and are hungry and probably don't know where to go. And instead of going to see them, they were passing out food samples to people who had already sat down and were eating their food. I'm Like, how stupid is that? They don't want your food, they already got their food. But I thought to myself, the reason that they don't wanna do that is because it's a lot more comfortable to stay in the air-conditioned area. You wanna get out there and pass out food to people who need it and may be looking for it, you gotta get out in the hot, you gotta get out in the heat, and that's not as comfortable. And then I got to thinking about that and I thought the world is full of people who are hungry and thirsty and they're searching all over the place to find a satisfying uh, way to fill that hunger or to meet that thirst and we know that the world has no answer to that. And the church, the church is a table Where we invite people who are searching, who are hungry and thirsty, to come and partake of the bread of life. And as we invite people to that table, I shared last week that that a healthy church should have a mixture of people around three chairs at the table. And those three chairs would basically be mature believers people who have come to the table and they've, they've heard uh, about the bread of life and they've partaken of the bread of life, they continue to feed on the bread of life and they are getting strong, they're learning, they're growing and they're understanding what the call of God's word from the bread of life is on their life and what they do is as they sit here and eat and they get strong, they push back from the table They put down their fork and their knife and their spoon and they get up and they come around here to begin serving and helping the people at the other two chairs. Who's in these chairs? Well, the people in these chairs in chair two, we talked about how this should be brand new, fresh off the boat, baby believers. And you might recall from your, your early parent days that when you have young toddlers who are eating at the table, they tend to make a mess. They're not all that good about how they eat. They don't have good manners. They're still learning those things. And instead of getting upset with the fact that they're making a mess, a mature parent gets over here and starts to help this toddler learn how to eat, learn how to manage what is in front of them. And how to partake of it in a healthy way so that they can grow up and be mature. And by the way, if you ever get tired of the mess, remember this. A family that is not reproducing is a family that is dying. If we don't have lots of people in the second chair, lots of baby believers, then we are becoming a church that is dying. Over here in the third chair are people who are far, far, far from God. These are people who are dealing with addictions, who are struggling with alcohol, who might be struggling with drug abuse, who might be selling their bodies, who might be involved in all sorts of unseemly sorts of activities in their life. And let me tell you something. This chair with those people is a chair that most churches do not want in their, in their facility. Oh, this isn't the right place for them. They need to get their act together before they come to church. Let me tell you something. You don't clean the fish before you catch it. You get the fish in the boat and then you clean it. Amen? Yeah. And Jesus said, these are the very people that he came looking for. And somehow, I don't know what's happened, but we have too many churches that think the people in this chair shouldn't be in the church at all. And if you don't have people in this chair, then guess what? You're not going to have anybody in this chair. Because it's these people who are hearing the bread of life for the first or second time and are figuring out that's the answer to my problem in life. And so as we come every Sunday to the table of the bread of life, the table that is God's church, we need to be seeing a healthy mixture of these three chairs filled in the context of Orchardville Church. So as I was thinking about that, and as we sort of transition into this morning's piece of table talk, um, I want to kind of bring another analogy uh, into play. Now, um, today is actually the end of three full months of me being here at Orchardville. It's hard to believe it's been three months. (laughs) Like, what? It's true. Uh, It was uh, the first Sunday of May that we came uh, to candidate here. And so May, June, July, I mean, it's, it's three months. And uh, it's been a crazy three months for us. I, I don't know what it's been like for y'all, but it's been crazy for us. I mean, we've been traveling back and forth between Peoria and here for a while, and uh, then trying to move in. I mean, if any of you have moved, uh, I, I, I've actually talked to a couple of people who said they've moved like once or twice in their life. I'm like, that's crazy. We have literally had over 30 addresses in our lifetime. I'm not kidding. Um. And so it's unbelievable. And, and it's, when you do that much movement, it's hard. And so between all the transition between Peoria in here, and then finally getting settled in here, we've eaten in, in restaurants way, way more than we usually do. And, uh, I, I don't know exactly how many restaurants are in kind of this four county area, but based on my short sample season here, I, I have to think there's not enough. And you know why I say it? Because every time we have gone to a restaurant, it has been full. It's like people stay home. I want to go eat and get food served fast. <laughs> if the restaurant's full, I got to wait longer. And, and so, it, I mean, you know, I, I, I think it's normal for a lot of people to go out and eat on a Thursday or Friday or Saturday night. But we've, we've gone on a Monday and a Tuesday night, and there shouldn't be anybody there. And it's still packed. And so I can only come to the conclusion that there are not enough restaurants in this four-county area. Now, I guess one of the reasons why they're, they're full, uh, besides the fact that there's probably not enough, is I mean, people gotta eat, right? I mean, you gotta eat. And uh, I think sometimes, you know, you think to yourself, well, I just ate yesterday. Do I really have to eat again? Yes! Yeah, you gotta eat again. And the reason that you have to eat again is because nourishment equals fuel nourishment equals fuel your body is made in such a way that if you don't put food in it you're going to run out of gas you can only do what you do for so long before you wind up in the side of the ditch somewhere because you just ain't got nothing left now on my, on my honeymoon, which was almost 29 years ago, uh, we were in New York City in Manhattan, and I learned on that day that uh, when, when my wife is hungry, she means it. Any of you get hangry? And you're like, what the heck is that? Hangry is hungry and angry at the same time. And, uh, and I found out when she says she's ready to eat, if I don't do something about that right now, I'm gonna regret that later. And so, so there's a lot of people that, man, you, when it's time to eat, you gotta eat. And so God made us that way. But when we come to the table of the bread of life, we find a different kind of nourishment and fuel. What we find is that when we come to the table of the bread of life, We get fuel from the nourishment of the bread that gives us energy and fuel to get up and serve people, to to have peace in the storms of life, to make sense out of the chaos that surrounds us. And that is the most satisfying kind of fuel and life that you can possibly have. And you would think, that being the case, that the spiritual restaurants that serve the bread of life would be full every Sunday because it's the best kind of nourishment that you can get. But I have a feeling that's not true, that the spiritual restaurants are not all full. And so I did a little research this week, and here's what I found. In the four-county area, you can see them up here. The population is in parentheses, and then the number of churches, and I'm not sure that's a completely accurate number of churches. I think it might be a few more than that, Uh, but it's a pretty accurate uh, population uh, number. And so all four counties together that surround Orchardville Church, there are at least 300 churches and 106,600 people in population that means that if every church were to be full of people in this four county area every church in these four counties would have at least 355 people in them every Sunday anybody believe there's 355 people in all the churches that you see day to day not a chance and so what is going on? If this is the table where people can partake of the bread of life, which is the most important meal that you can ever partake in, then why, unlike the regular restaurants, are our spiritual restaurants, are our churches not jammed to the rafters? I want to share a few things that may be new to you, may be old to you. But I want to give you a few facts on spiritual restaurants this morning. Now, there is a general idea that uh, about 50% of the population in America attends church. Well, that's a very, very old number because current research shows that that number is actually less than 20% of the population in America regularly attends church. Less than 20%. It's actually 17%. Now, what does that mean? If there are 106,600 people in this four-county area, that means there are over 85,000 unchurched, non-church-attending people that we are rubbing shoulders with every day. Folks, look around the church. Do we have a few empty seats here this morning? do we have the answer to fill the need that those 85,000 people are actually looking for? Yes. Then we need to be a whole lot more intentional and a whole lot more engaged with handing out samples to them of the bread of life and saying, come share a meal with me in my church. More research says that the majority of Christians that were interviewed, they don't even belong to a local church, but they still identify with their roots even though they don't even go. Now, how much sense does that make? Now, But I know it's true. The church that I pastored in Peoria, I was at a Walmart uh, one day and I was getting new tires on my car and the guy that was the, the managing the, the uh, Walmart auto part of the, the store, uh, he recognized me and he said, are you Coach Mark? And uh, for those of you who, who don't understand that, uh, I went by Coach Mark at my previous church. If you want to call me Coach Mark, that's fine. The reason that I went by that is because the, when in Ephesians, when Paul describes the work of a pastor, it's for the equipping of the saints, for ministry, right? You know that passage? for the equipping of the saints for ministry. So it's not for the pastor to do it all. It's to show the people how to do it. And isn't that what a coach does on a football team or a basketball team? A coach doesn't go out on the field and play the game. He equips his team to go play the game. And so that's why I went by coach. And uh, so my email is still coachmarkdobler at gmail, or you can email me at uh, Orchardville Church if you want to. But anyway... He said, are you Coach Mark? I said, yes. He said, well, uh, your church is my church. Now, I happened to remember when this guy visited the church. It was probably about two years before that. He had never been back. He had never returned to our church, and yet we were his church. This is what that number is saying. There are a lot of people who say they have a church and they haven't darkened the door in years. That is not somebody with a church. And a more scary idea and and a statistic is that only 6% of U.S. churches are actually growing. 6%. Now, let's transition that to the restaurant world If only 6% of restaurants were growing, what would that mean to the 94% of the other restaurants? What would they be doing? Going out of business. Do you understand the implication of that to the church that Jesus died for? If we're not growing... Then we are on the verge of seeing the, the church that Jesus died for go out of business. Only 6% of churches in the United States of America are actually growing. People who are actually seeing people from this church, from this chair, who are far from Jesus, move into this chair as they're learning to walk with Jesus, who move to this chair and grow in the faith, and then get up and help move this process along every week. 6%. It's a scary number. Then further research says mid-sized congregations tend to lose their evangelistic mentality because they have enough. Now, I don't know if you know what the numbers are, but Orchardville Church, we classify as a mid-sized church. And by the research, by the statistics and the numbers, churches our size tend to lose their evangelistic zeal, their care and concern about the people who need to be in this chair because we got enough. We got enough money to do what we want to do. We got enough people to make us feel good about what we're doing. We have enough. Jesus never said it was enough. Never said It was enough. And then the last one on this is that established churches are more prone to decline due to relevancy because they no longer feel relatable to a younger generation. Now, before the countdown got down to zero this morning, I said, hey, don't let these kids, don't let these kids out worship you. If you're a mature believer, you ought to be showing them how to worship. Amen. Amen. I loved that Miss Army got up and got down here right in the middle of this thing this morning. That was awesome. Now, it, open up your Bible real quick. I, I want to I read a couple of verses to you from Luke chapter 6. I mean, Luke chapter 5. <clears throat> this, is a, this is a passage of scripture that, that most of you are familiar with. But I want to apply it to that last piece of information there that they're prone to decline because they just don't relate to a younger generation. Now, you know if you're a parent, sometimes you just don't get what your kids do. You just don't. It's a different generation. They think differently. They've been exposed to different things. But you love them anyway. But Jesus was... Having a little back and forth in Luke chapter five, and in verse 36, he spoke a parable to them, and he said this, "No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined." But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So what is going on here? Well, in this chapter, the Pharisees are basically, they're heckling Jesus. And if, if if you've got it open, you can sort of look back here a little bit. And in, in verse 21, they were hollering at Jesus and saying, Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And then in, uh, in verse uh, 20 or 30, their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you hanging out with people in this chair? And in verse 33, Why did the disciples of John fast often and make prayers and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? You know what the Pharisees were saying? Why are you not doing it like we have always done it? Hmm. Why aren't you doing it the way that we've always done it? And Jesus shared a little bit of a parable with them, and the one I want to point your attention to is you don't pour new wine into old wineskins. Jesus said in Isaiah 43, I'm, forget the past, look at the new. I'm doing something new. Do you not perceive it? God is a God of new, new birth, new life, new creation in Jesus Christ. He is a God of the new. And he is saying that when there's a new movement of God, you don't take an old way of doing things and try to stuff the new thing into it because both of them will lose their value. You know, he said in in that verse, he said, if you pour the new wine into new wineskins, you have both. If you pour it into old wineskins, you lose them both. And you know what he's saying? It's not the contents. The content is the same. We're talking about the same thing. Old wine, new wine, it's wine. But when you've got a new batch of the same product, you don't put it in an old container that might have the bottom fall out and you lose not only the container, but the contents. Church, we cannot lose the contents of God's Word. It is the bread of life, and there is no other. But God is always doing something new, and that means that we have always got to be willing to change our container. You understand that? Because when God is working and, and reaching a new generation the way that we do it might need to change. We never compromise this word, ever, ever, ever. Jesus said, I have the words of life. There is no substitute for this. But the way that we share it can and should change. Otherwise, we have nobody in this chair because we reach nobody in this chair and we become a dying church. Let me share a few other statistics from you about spiritual restaurants. Only 46% of Christians believe that they actually have a responsibility to evangelize. Can you believe that? Less than half actually believe that I've got a responsibility to reach the people in this chair right here. And if you want to make that even scarier, Only 26% of those 40 strongly agreed that they have a responsibility to that chair. Only 26%. 20% sort of mostly agreed. It's only mostly dead. Is that not heartbreaking? Over half of Christians do not believe that this chair matters to them. That breaks the heart of God. And 55% of the people in this survey believe that good works actually get you to heaven. Folks, you can do good things all day long till the cows come home every day of your life. It will not get you to heaven. And when 55% of people believe that good works will get you there, We got a lot of work to do. One other bullet on this. 35 out of out of all those people, 35% of them classified themselves by the phrase born again Christian. When Jesus was asked by Nicodemus, how how can I be saved? He said, You must be what? Born Born again. God's doing something new. Born again. It's a new birth. That's how you get saved. And only 35% classified themselves as born again. But this, this is frightening. Only 7% identified themselves as evangelical Christians. Now let me read to you what that means. In this survey, there were some phrases and terms of what people believe. And you had to meet all of these criteria in order to classify yourself As an evangelical Christian, here's what an evangelical Christian believes according to the survey that their faith is very important in their life today. They have a personal responsibility to share uh, their religious beliefs about uh, Christ uh, Christ with non Christians. Uh, They believe that Satan exists, he is real people. They believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth. They assert that the Bible is accurate in all that it teaches. And they believe that eternal salvation is possible only through grace and not works. And they describe God as the all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect deity who created the universe and still rules it today. Now, do we believe those things as a body of believers here at Orchardville? Yes. Only 7% identified themselves by these traits. Is it any wonder to you why our spiritual restaurants are not full? Now, I think those are some powerful reasons uh, why we don't have a table full of people every week at our churches through these Four counties and across the United States of America, but I I think there's another reason too. Um, I think that in addition to this mixture of chairs, we have some wonderful, fantastic, mature believers who are occupying this chair and they push back and they serve every week here. We have some fresh believers. I love hearing that some people just came to Christ, praise the Lord. I love when we have people that walk into the church and they haven't been here before, and maybe they're not sure if they should be here, but they're here. We need them. But I think every church, and probably Orchardville Church, has some people that are spiritually obese. And that means that they come and they sit down at this table every week. They feed on the bread of life and they eat and they eat and they eat and they never, ever get up to serve someone else. Or to share a sample of the bread of life with someone who is hungry and thirsty for Christ. And so... If this is mature believers, these are new believers, these are people far from Jesus who need to find him for the first time, then what chair are those people sitting in? Well, I need to add another chair, so let me go get it. The high chair. Now, if you've ever had a baby in your home, uh, you know that whoever occupies this chair, it's all about me, isn't it? (laughs) It's all about me. It doesn't matter what else is going on. If my, if my Cheerio falls off of this ledge and goes down to the floor, my world just went into a crisis. And I demand that you come right now and you pick up my Cheerio. Even though I still got 50 on the counter right in front of me. I want that Cheerio. They don't care what anybody else is doing. They don't care what anybody else is thinking. It is me, me, me. And we've got too many people in churches that sit in the eye chair. And when new people come in, instead of being warmly received, helped to the table, they're ignored or pushed away because people in the eye chair are only in it for what they can get, and if somebody messes with their Cheerios, you better, you better get out of the way, because they're going to raise a stink. You don't mess with my Cheerios. And so I think one of the reasons that we don't have full spiritual restaurants is people show up to a church maybe once, maybe twice, and they encounter a few too many people in the eye chair. Instead of people who are embracing them and saying, let me help you to the table. And the people who are sitting in that chair, they've been feeding on the Bible so long. Without getting up and exercising, their Bible belt is on the last hole. They got no more room to expand that thing. And there they sit. And when they sit there, they go, I want this. Or I want that. I want this ministry. I want that ministry. I wish we would quit this. I wish we would quit that. I wish we wouldn't do this. I didn't like that. Now, I'm sure if you ask people who have served on a staff at any level or served in any sort of ministry here this morning, who has any sort of experience with that, they will tell you these are the people that make the most noise in the church. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody that served on staff anywhere to say amen to that, but it's true. They're the people who make the most noise. And it is really, really tempting for a pastor or pastoral staff, to turn their back on all of these people, the larger number, the three chairs who are creating a beautiful ecosystem spiritually, turn their back on them and take care of the eye chair people. Why? Because they make the no, most noise. And the squeaky wheel, what? Gets the grease. And so we got a lot of churches that are investing all their time, all their energy, all their resources into the people in the eye chair who are demanding what they want. Meanwhile, these people are being ignored. Luke fifteen four. If you're still in Luke, turn over a few pages to Luke 15, 4. It's a verse many of you know. Jesus said, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost, until he finds it now how many of you if you've got your bible open you've got you've got like uh, labels for the different portions let me see your hand okay there's a few of you all right so in in um, Luke 15 we've got three parables the first one is that we just read that's part of the parable of the lost sheep what's the next parable in that chapter parable of the lost coin what's the next parable in that chapter the lost son, the prodigal son. Luke 15 is a chapter about the lost. See, we've had a lot of churches for way too long who have totally misunderstood this verse. See, we've applied this verse in the church to say that you leave the 99 and go find the one, that unhappy church member in the eye chair who got ticked off and went home because you weren't playing the way they liked that's not what Jesus is talking about he's talking about if I got 99 that are safe you know what I'm going to do I'm not going to put all of my time into the 99 are safe I'm going to go find the lost one because the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost that's what he came for. And so instead of pastors and staff spending all their time investing in people who are investing in others, we got way too much time invested in people who are going, I want this, I want that, I don't like this, I don't like that and making sure they're happy. Jesus said, "I ain't got time for that. I came to search and find the lost." So you might realize that people in that eye chair are actually not spiritually mature. It is the exact opposite of spiritually mature. So let me give you just a few quick words about spiritual maturity. It is not automatic. Now you think, well, I I accepted Christ. I'm coming every week. That does not mean that you are maturing spiritually. It's a good start. You should be coming every week. The Bible tells us in Hebrews to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. So we should be doing this, but it is not automatic. Check this verse out in Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews said in in chapter 5, verse 12 and 13, he said, For though by this time you ought to be teachers. In other words, you got saved. You've been coming around. You've been hanging around. You've been feeding on the bread. You ought by now to be teachers. You ought to be serving. You ought to be getting up out of this chair and coming and help happen, make this happen over here. You ought to be. But here's what's happening. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. You know what he's saying? Instead of growing, you've gone the opposite way. You have become a baby again. And now you are one of those people who are sitting in the eye chair going, me, me, me. You have not matured. Why? Because maturity is not automatic. And he said, you should be eating solid food, but you need milk. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a what? He's a babe. We have way too many believers who have been believers for way too long and still qualify as a babe because they've never given themselves to the maturing process. So it's not automatic. And maturity, spiritual maturity is definable. It looks like Jesus. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, we referenced that verse a while ago, but now check out what he says after that. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, Jesus is our measuring standard. When we say we are Christians, what is that saying that we are being like? Like Christ. Christians mean little Christ. That's what the believers were called in the early centuries because they were living so much like Christ that they were called little Christ. That's where we got the term Christians. When we call ourselves a Christian, we are measuring ourselves against the standard of Jesus Christ. And that is how we define maturity. Are we looking more and more and more like Christ? And here's a couple of things that we need to always remember about The the measure of Jesus Christ, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to what serve? Are you serving? If you're not serving, if you're not passing out samples, if you're not helping this process happen, you are not displaying the character of Christ. You are not maturing as Jesus intended for us to mature. Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. If you have given up on reaching or caring about finding people that need to be in this chair, you are not exhibiting the maturity of a Christ follower. And this is the problem in far too many churches in the United States of America and why our spiritual restaurants are way too empty versus regular restaurants, which are packed all the time. Build believers, reach the lost. Say it with me. Build believers, reach the lost. One more time. Build believers, reach the lost. It's not complicated. But, man, do we get distracted by a whole bunch of other things. We want to build believers, grow them up, mature them in Christ. Why? So we can go out of here and reach the lost. There's a lot of incredible serving that is going on from people in this chair within Orchardville. We just finished the third week of camp this last week. is an incredible week. I was a little bit under the weather this week, uh, dealing with some sinuses or whatever, so I, I, didn't, I wasn't sure what it was, so I didn't want to be in people's space too much. But just being here and seeing all of that going on, it was amazing. It was fantastic. I was so blessed. My heart was so encouraged because of what I saw going on within the body of Orchardville Church. Man, there were so many different ways that people were serving Man, kudos to the, to the crew that came in every day and prepared a meal. Man, you can't have camp without a meal. It won't last long. And there's a lot of work that goes into gathering all of that and then coming in and, and putting it together and then cleaning up after the fact. There was a lot of work that went into getting ready for the camps to begin with earlier this summer that, that started with, with junior church or, or I mean, children's camp and then junior camp and concluded last week in senior camp. We saw some amazing serving going on, and we saw probably at least 15 to 20 different people come to Christ through our camp ministry. Amen? Come on, church. And for those of you who help make that happen, your reward is great in heaven. You may pay a little price of weariness today, but your reward is great. And there is a crown that awaits you. And Jesus never misses a thing that you do for his kingdom. Never. And then I got to give some huge kudos to Rick. I know the work that goes into junior and and senior camp. It was unbelievable the amount of energy and effort that he put into that. And Rick is no spring chicken. (laughs) It's incredible. I don't know how a guy that old can do what he did. And after all of that energy, he came and brought such a heartfelt uh, funeral service on Friday man that's serving that's sacrificing I talked to, to uh, Misty on, uh, on Thursday on her way out the door you know what I found out and she, she probably wishes I wouldn't say this if she's in here this morning she gives up six vacation days a year to serve at camp you know that amen And she never regrets it. That's some fantastic serving. But we need more. We need everybody to be engaged in the serving that Jesus calls us to. To reach the lost and grow them up. To go back out and reach more lost. Now when we're doing that, we're bringing more people in. We're growing the kingdom. Now when you bring a whole lot more people to the table... You ever had one of those tables that you you pull them apart and you throw leaves in there? You just expand the table. So I want to talk real quickly about adding some leaves to the table when we're doing what we ought to be doing. Growth, church, is a natural state of progression. You know what that means? It means it ought to be happening. It's natural. When something is born and brought to life... It is naturally supposed to grow. But it needs the proper care in order to do so. And that means that we've got to be very intentional about not losing our focus so that we can go out and reach the lost, win them to Christ, grow them up so they can go out and do it again. Growth is adding people to the kingdom. And church... I, as your pastor, am anticipating a whole lot more of that this fall and beyond. Amen? Amen. And that means that you are a key part in that. You're dispersed in these four counties that surround Orchardville Church. You're the ones that are out there passing out samples, and you need to get busy representing the Savior and inviting people to the table where the bread of life is shared. And lastly, growth is walking in obedience as we mature in our faith. See, this is the sign of maturity when we're serving in obedience. Now, let me just say this about that real quick, and we're wrapping this up. In fact, I'm going to invite our, our worship team to, to come on up to the platform so that uh, when I finish this, you're ready to go. Do you think that everybody that shows up to serve every Sunday is always wired to the max, ready to serve? I mean, they just can't wait to get there. You think everybody arrives on the Sunday that they're supposed to be serving with that mindset? (laughs) There have been some Sundays that I've been a preacher and I wake up and like, man, I don't want to go to church this morning. (laughs) You ever been serving and you wake up that way? I don't want to go to church this morning. I don't really have a chance to you know, make that work. I'm, I'm supposed to show up, so I show up. And you know what that is? That's serving in obedience. There are people all over this congregation that you're supposed to serve on a Sunday morning. There are Sunday mornings that you get up and man, you just don't feel like it. You're tired, you're weary, you're worn out, but you get up and you serve. Why? Because that's what God calls us to. And in the middle of serving in your weariness, somehow God shows up and pours into your life and blesses you in ways you didn't even anticipate. So it's serving in obedience. Get baptized in obedience. I'm gonna baptize Henry in just a little bit this morning. There's gonna be a baptism class next Sunday. And then, Lord willing, some of you who have been saved and walking with Jesus for a long time, but maybe you never followed Jesus in baptism, you'll come to that class and you'll be one of those people going under the water next uh, two weeks from now declaring to the world I belong to Jesus He is my Lord and He's my Savior Jesus said at the end of Acts He told his, His disciples go into all world baptize people in the name of the Father the Son and of the Holy Spirit When Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 and they responded to his message and they said, what do we have to do? And he said, repent and be baptized. This morning, I'm calling you as an individual follower of Christ to respond in obedience this morning. Where are you falling short of the measure of Jesus Christ. Are you out there sharing the bread of life? Are you sharing the samples? Are you inviting? Have you forgotten and given up on this chair? Have you spent too much time in this chair? Are you helping people in this chair grow in their faith? Whatever God is speaking to you this morning, You need to respond in obedience because that's the first step toward maturity. Father, Your Holy Spirit now is ready to work. God, I pray that this church at an individual level and at a corporate level this morning as we begin to turn our minds toward the fall and what is ahead of us that we will become an amazing representation of you to this four county area and even beyond that people who are far from Jesus Lord will find a place here where they are warmly received and directed to the bread of life God help us to be busy about being obedient and doing your work in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand. If you need Jesus this morning, maybe you need to respond in obedience and ask Jesus to come into your life. It starts there. If you're already a Christ follower, you know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. So church, let's respond. Are you satisfied this morning church
1: the blood satisfied
0: is the lord satisfied with you come to the altar the lord's arms are open while he'll never turn you down never turn you back Father, we give you thanks this morning that you never give up on us. God, like that prodigal father, God, you are always watching, always waiting, always willing to receive us back. Lord, we give you thanks this morning for those who have stepped out in faith, who have stepped out in obedience. Lord, we know that every time we offer and Invitation. There are always those who are just fearful of stepping out. But they're doing business with you right where they sit. And so, God, I pray that you will bless every prayer that has been offered to you this morning. That you will encourage every heart and that you will preserve and protect the commitments and the decisions that have been made. And Father, may people, when they look at Orchardville Church, may they know that it is a place whose arms are open wide to receive people, no matter where they are, to share the bread of life and say, this is how we live. God, we give you thanks. We give you praise. And we are ready to celebrate baptism in Jesus' name. Amen.